Alright everybody, welcome to another episode of Cube and Chaos. And yeah, we have another guest with us, which is this time Turn to Stormcrow, member of our community. Longtime member of our community too. Provided a lot of support just throughout. Yeah, I'm glad to be on. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So yeah, do you want to start things off by just um, going over your signature spellbook, telling us a little bit about who you are as a magic player? Uh, yeah, sure. So my signature spellbook consists of a couple cards. I'll start off with Mindslaver, which was the first one I added. Ever since I started playing Cube on MTGO, I just I loved activating Mindslaver. It was just it's it's just my favorite card in Magic, and I really enjoy playing with it. How do you enjoy playing playing it? Do you like to try to lock people out completely? Is that what you enjoy? Like like with Academy Ruins, playing it over and over again, or, or like Emery? Um, really... Or Emery, yeah. Or is it enough for you to just get it in there once and enjoy it, completely destroying the opponent's hand and board with their spells? Yeah, I just enjoy using it to completely just destroy the opponent's game plan and just yeah, it's the value mind's labor. The value is just great. It is definitely yeah. It's a very interesting card. Yeah. I, I agree. It's one of those cards where you don't necessarily gain that much from accelerating it out. Yeah, that's a good point. Um because your opponent has less to do early on. Yeah, so then the second one was Wizen Sen. Yeah, Wizen Sen, I I put that on the list because the first modern deck I made, I don't know why, but I made a Kithkin deck. I just thought it would be a really cool idea. And Wizen Sen, I feel like it's the card that best represents that deck. Um, what did that deck do? Just tribal beatdown or did it have other angles? Yeah, it's mainly just tribal beatdown. It actually powers out pretty quickly. It has a good curve. And yeah, it was pretty fun. Isn't there a card that said, like, it's like a big double striker that championed a Kithkin? Is that right? Yeah, Thoughtweft Trio. That That's like a big Vigilance creature. It's a 5-5 five, five Vigilance for 4. And nice. yeah, it's a pretty decent Kithkin payoff. Yeah, I imagine, like, that seems like it would have been a nice player in that deck for sure. Kithkin are sweet. I know a lot of people really like them, and we don't see them almost ever, so... Cool, thank you. Yeah, they're weird and spooky though. <laughs> <laughs> they are a little weird, yeah. I do like them too. They're played very straightforward in Lowen. Did you play the Lowen uh, limited format back in the day? Uh, no, but it looks like a really enjoyable format. Hopefully, it comes to MTGO at some point in the form of a flashback draft. That would be great. Have you done any nice. flashbacks of it like in the past? Um, unfortunately, I haven't really got the chance to, but. There are a few drafts, flashback drafts on YouTube that I've watched of it. Yeah, it is a cool format for sure. It's super heavily uh, like synergy based in terms of tribal. Um, like there are some pretty nutty like merfolk decks you can put together and things like that. Tree folk, not so much. On board. Huh? You really need to be careful what's on board and what you are allowed to let die and uh, what, what the consequences will be. It's, it's complex playing out. The drafting can feel a little bit um, on rails, I guess, because of the tribal aspect. But it's a it's a, it's a good format. It's dif- different. I think it's the last time they did tribal like super intensely, right? Seems like it. I mean, there are a few spots in between. I can bring up Ixalan, but I don't really <laughs> want to remember Ixalan. 
Yeah, that was not the best format. No. But yeah, you did have like Moldrifter at Common back in Morwen, so that was sweet too. But yeah, anyway, moving on. So my next card is Gorio's Vengeance. And this is on here because it is the card that best represents one of the best limited drafts I've ever done. Um, it was like one or two years ago, I was drafting Ultimate Masters on MTGO, and I got this amazing deck where I was just using Gorio's Vengeance to like reanimate Emrakul and Ulamog, which I happened to open <laughs> in the draft. It was, yeah, definitely sounds, one of my best memories. It sounds really amazing, for sure. I remember um, reading about this before, because you had told me before. And yeah, Gorio's Vengeance... It's such a cheap, efficient card. I know you mentioned your Kithkin deck was a modern one. I'm pretty sure Gorio's Vengeance used to do stuff in modern for a while. But weirdly, it's one of those cards that is almost never in the Magic Online cubes. And I don't think it's really gotten reprinted much apart from like Ultimate Masters, of course. It's just such a sweet format. So many <laughs> stories of people doing crazy things uh, in that draft format. That'd be another great one for a flashback. Yeah, like, I even got the chance to take in Entomb and Demonic Tutor. It was just crazy draft. Sounds like I, I do remember this card from a long time ago when uh, in the mall I bought, like, I was still pretty young at that point, I bought a single booster um, of, of whatever Kamigawa said this was from, opened it, and this was my rare, and I was quite disappointed, not really knowing what the fuck to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have to say, like what's the point here <laughs> it's funny because it worth it to me there's there's a similar card that is a lot closer to worthless uh footsteps of the gorio uh it's a reanimation oh, yeah three but the thing doesn't gain haste it's a sorcery and you have to sacrifice it in at, at end of turn so you really have to have some special creature with good enters the battlefield ability leaves the battlefield ability you can give it haste or flicker it i guess but <laughs> on the surface it looks even worse i feel like yeah i've seen i think i've seen that card in modern before with cards like woodfall primus works mm. really well with woodfall primus for sure persist is great with that kind of thing yeah i would love to see guru's vengeance come up in some of the mtgo cubes for sure seems like an interesting card to try out i think it could be fun yeah well, it's just a little bit weaker than the alternatives right and on Magic Online, very often the cubes are very much power level optimized. Yeah, that's fair. I could so, see it in like a I modern cube, maybe, where you don't have access to some of the older, better reanimation spells. Anyway, It's certainly one of the cooler reanimation spells out there. Oh, yeah. All right, well, the next card on my list is Spawn of Mayhem. And this is on my list because uh, the first standard deck I played... It was a mono-black aggro deck, and Spawn of Mayhem was uh, one of the best cards in my deck. It's just the first card that came to mind when I thought of that mono-black aggro deck. And it was actually super effective, and I really enjoyed playing with it. This is a nice one. Yeah, it's a 4-mana, double black in there, 4-4 four, four flyer. And if you dealt damage to the opponent, you can cast it cheaper for 3 and double black. Flying and trample. Then at the beginning of your upkeep, it's one damage to each player. Then if you have 10 or less life, put plus one plus one counter on Spawn of Mayhem. Quite strong aggro card, I can see that. Probably saw some play in like standard mono black, something like that. I think that sounds 
familiar at least. Yeah, I think I saw Rafael Levy play with it too in the Black Aggro deck. It lined up very well against the removal in the format, right? Oh yeah, it did, for sure. It was just good against a lot of the strategies. That's definitely a cool card. Yeah, that's really, really an, a nice thing that can also be interesting to keep in mind when uh, when you're building your cube, which removal or which threads line up in which way against uh, the removal available. It's getting into the nitty-gritty of, of balancing stuff out, but yeah, I think that, that card reminds me of that uh, aspect of building your cube. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I don't know, like what all removal it really lined up well against but i can kind of picture it with like four toughness and maybe that um triggered ability is pretty useful against like just pacifism effects put your opponent on sort of a sulfuric vortex kind of thing i could see that's being black is relevant right yeah. yeah all right last one yeah so my last card is hex drinker hex drinker is on here because Ooh. it was a card that I really enjoyed playing in cube again, just like Mindslaver, and I lost to it a lot. <laughs> yeah. I did too. <laughs> it's strong, very strong. It's really ironic that uh, this is a choice of yours because Jakob and I were on Twitter uh, having a discussion about cards that were, <laughs> I think, our least favorite or something along those lines. Cards that we were really annoyed with, and Hex Drinker was <laughs> my number one. Just because, I mean, it's such an uninteractive card. And it's really frustrating, too, because people always seem to underrate it in the Magic Online cubes. I see Hex Drinker regularly going a lot later than it should. Yeah, it's just, it's good if you're green with ramp, it's good if you're aggressive, it's, it's just a very good card. So playing with it yourself is um fun like it's just <laughs> yeah it doesn't lead to great games in my opinion i mean it can be interacted with and i believe it also was in the signature spellbook of uh, snow Schwartz. is that right i don't remember that you could be I, right i am not 100 sure but i believe so yeah. we had it before in the signature spellbook so i mean that makes me look on the card a bit more positively like if many people are enjoying it that much guess i can take a step back <laughs> <laughs> i mean if nothing else like you can hold up instant speed removal as your opponent goes for like the sorcery speed level up activations and that's kind of interesting but going back to the yeah somehow i didn't see it play out like that yeah, yeah like how was it for you well the main reason why i put it on the list is because to my surprise it actually does really well against linear decks like it's definitely fast enough to kill them and yeah. yeah, it's an outstanding card. Yeah, it looks so innocuous. I think it just plays so well because everything in it is just one mana. Yeah. And you pay an installment. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely true. There's a lot of flexibility so, and efficiency. I believe this was yeah. the number one card in Modern Horizons, uh, like even above the Plague Wind, the Winds of Abandon. I think I think Hex Drinker was a more powerful card in a lot of like pro players' opinions for the limited format, not for constructed. Uh, Correct. Yeah. Right? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying it's like better than Hogok or whatever in constructed. <laughs> yeah, but it's just not asking anything of you, and I think that's also why it feels so good to play it. Like in turn one, if you don't have an accelerator, you could play it out, and then it never disrupts what else you are doing, while still slowly increasing the pressure on the opponent. And all the mana that would otherwise go to waste just goes into into the Hex Drinker, and that makes it so strong. For sure. Yeah, it's, it's also pretty nice that 
say you're playing Vintage Cube and you have a mono green deck that is Hex Drinker, but it, it also works with it works really well with like channel. The fact yep. that you can channel it into a oh, progenitus yeah. is pretty great. Right, yeah. Figurative progenitus, of course. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean it's definitely a powerful card. I wonder if anyone in uh in Modern Horizons Limited ever splashed it off like multiple caves of uh temptation, because that's the other thing about it. Like normally one drops are hard to splash or just not worth it, but this one is pretty different. <laughs> I think you would always play this thing if you could. Yeah, even the talismans work pretty well for splashing it. Right, yeah. All right. So I guess before we transition to the cube draft that you hosted, which was awesome a couple weekends ago, I just wanted to do something kind of new for um, this podcast, which is we have set up a Patreon. Uh, So if you guys are listening and you appreciate what we do um you want to you know show us that uh, monetarily we would definitely appreciate it Jakob just received his phd and i'm about to graduate with my bachelor's so yeah i mean um any kind of support is always appreciated and same goes for the patreon but yeah with that do you want to dive into what uh what your cube was and how the draft of it went was it your first cube I guess you could say it was my first cube. I It was the first cube I started, but in the middle of it, I made a peasant cube. And then after that, I finished up this cube. So yeah, it was almost like my first cube. I remember we did one draft of this uh, some number of months ago, and I was hoping we could return to it at some point. We did finally get there, so I'm happy about that for sure. Yeah. So when we first played it for the first time, how how did you feel? Like, were you very like nervous or um, any like specific things that you thought might go well or go wrong were you very excited yeah i would say i was a little bit nervous because um it's a very unique i'd say it's a very unique idea with unique archetypes and they could just be too all over the place or whatever and some of them might not be supported enough but i don't think that was first too much of an issue throughout the draft so your first thought was um, to being afraid that the players will get lost with the, yeah. with the new archetypes and I think we should I think we need to backtrack a little. Can you, can you tell us a little about the theme of the cube because I don't think we've gotten that yet. There's each of the archetypes are just the the whole idea of it is to just like usually take Selesnia tokens. That's a pretty typical archetype in this cube. It would be mm-hmm. Demir maybe. So that's the whole premise of this. Yeah. So, so completely changing traditional archetypes, like subverting them and choosing like opposing colors, um, stuff like that, right? Yeah. The the example you just brought like is a very well known archetype brought into a different color pair. Is it always that, or is there just some things that are very unusual? Um, I'd say it's a bit of a mix of both for the archetypes. Yeah. Like, one of them would, could be Selesnia Reanimator. That's one of my archetypes. I mean, there are white yeah. Reanimator decks, and there are sometimes black-green Reanimator decks. But, mm-hmm. yeah. What's so impressive to me about this cube is that, and just what I think works so well, is that you've managed to, like, construct these, like, cohesive archetypes that really, I'll say, don't share a color with how they would traditionally in limited or in cube formats, whatever it is. I think like gruel artifacts, <laughs> like that's a, I feel like another good example of something that's just t- 
totally like out of the ordinary like the two colors that well two of the colors that really don't like to synergize with artifacts just i think that's i think that's a really fun thing to do yeah for sure what do you think was the greatest challenge when making these archetypes i think the greatest challenge was just thinking of a good theme for the archetype um like i spent a lot of time pondering what like golgari should be and yeah i just some of the archetypes themes were very hard to develop mm -hmm. and how do you feel like they came out in the end do you feel like people saw them and played to them and were they well balanced or was that not an issue at all um I think most of the archetypes were fairly balanced, but some of them probably still do need some work and just making them more or less powerful, for sure. Maybe Azorius Landfall, for example, like that. That archetype doesn't have too much support, so I might need to swap it out for something. You did go undefeated with Azorius, though, which is kind of interesting. Just not the, like kind of azorius deck that you drew up maybe when you were designing the cube yeah that was that was an interesting draft for sure i was but you went off rails of your own archetype yeah it was like in a an azorius azorius graveyard deck basically which is normally in boros for this cube uh i just <laughs> got it got it in azorius Azorius Graveyard is also pretty off the wall, so I guess you still uh, succeeded. <laughs> yeah, it, right. it works. I mean, just White Graveyard is definitely not usual. Although, with Strixhaven, like, it introduced all sorts of White Graveyard synergies. So that's kind of what Lorehold is all about, is mm. doing stuff in the graveyard. Yeah, yeah, it's what it tries to be about on the face, but... I've played quite a bit of, of Strixhaven Limited, and I feel like that didn't really succeed. And yeah, in, in your cube, it looks a bit different. It looks like these archetypes succeed better than in Strixhaven Limited. Yeah, for sure. I do think that um, Strixhaven was like a major boon for this cube. One of the things they really tried to do with that set is just, obviously we have had the guilds for a ton of different sets, but they're trying to not only give them new names in Strixhaven, that is the enemy guilds, but they're also trying to give them new kind of design space and new abilities. And I think that lends itself really well to this idea of color shifting. Like you don't normally see like a, an Orzhov heroic kind of archetype or the Boros, you know, cards leaving the graveyard kind of thing. Yeah, I drafted that, that Orzhov archetype and I really enjoyed it. It felt pretty natural to get into it because I played so much Strixhaven. So maybe that's why I ended up there. But I really liked the the gameplay and some of the, the card choices. Like Raven's Crime was my I think it's probably my favorite edition in this cube <laughs> for the for this archetype. It's just so cool to um just stockpile some lands and then just cast it without even the opponent having cards in hand. Just trigger mage to, to pump your prowess creature. That's yeah. like it's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is a really good fit too, um, just in terms of like the price of the card and the power level of the card. Because I wouldn't say it's like oppressive. It seems like a pretty fair card, but yeah, great way of getting rid of excess lands. There's one point. It's really funny actually because <laughs> I felt really good about my deck, but I did go one and two in that draft, and I lost to both of you guys, <laughs> which is just <laughs> really funny. I'm just you know 
here in a clinic on <laughs> how to play this cube better, I guess. But I was going to say in my match against Yakov, there, <laughs> there was a point where I had drawn a really powerful six drop, I think, and I had five lands and I had one or two other cards in hand and I realized no matter what, I wasn't going to be able to play the six drop because of Raven's Crime. Like as long as you had extra lands and I thought you did to discard, <laughs> it was going, it was like guaranteed that I would have to discard it or the land I would need to cast it. So just pretty funny. Yeah, that was pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah, like another thing about Raven's Crime is that in, in Kaldheim, there's a couple of cards that get some sort of reward for casting two spells in one turn, which was another boon for this archetype. Like, take for example, was it Clarion Spirit? Which, yeah. it's a two-mana 2-2 two -two whenever you cast your one, one colorless and a white. Whenever you cast your second spell, you make a 1-1 one, one flyer. So, like, it, that also works super well in the archetype, almost as a young Pyromancer. It cuts just the house anyway, though. Like, it really is very good for an uncommon. For sure. Yeah. Very strong. It's neat, too, because, um, like, on the surface, you know, it doesn't necessarily go super well with the heroic archetype. You have to really kind of have the deck to understand that, okay, well, my curve is so low that, yeah, maybe I'm playing multiple spells a turn. I don't know if you have any cards with, like, rebound or anything like that, but... Oh, um, yeah, I have a couple rebound cards. Nice, yeah, because yeah, those are a great fit too. I think with just the combination of like two spells in a turn and like prowess and magecraft, definitely fun stuff. I went for a very different black-white kind of deck, just more based around value and powerful creatures. Phyrexian Arena was one of my better cards, and I had a bunch of bounce lands. I felt like my deck could pretty much do fine, except I didn't really have the removal I needed, and I think part of that was on me for not drafting it highly enough. But I can definitely think of some situations, like, for instance, against Jakob, he had Drana. Anyway, I think it was the newer one, the three drop, and <laughs> that card was just such a beating for me. I, like, game three, I was, like, praying that you didn't have it again. I don't even know if you needed it, because I think you got there without it, but... <laughs> yeah, I got there without it in that game, but yeah. it certainly helped. Yeah. There, there is good removal, but it's not overabundant. It's, I think it's just the way the format shaves out that I picked the removal super highly, but also because it just works with the, the Magecraft or Prowess in the color combination I was drafting, so, or in the, in the archetype. So that made me look into it more and realizing I didn't have so much yet, so I picked it very, very early in pack two and three. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm... I know it's something that people, the amount of removal or the types of removal that are in there are something that people brought up. So is that the only feedback you got or what types of feedback did you get later and how do you plan to respond to this feedback? Yeah, so the removal problem is definitely something that I'm going to address for next time. And yeah, some other feedback that I got was with the black-white archetype, like I probably need a kind of transition the archetype to just more of a spells deck than a heroic deck because heroic just doesn't really work out that well in the cube environment because combat tricks just don't they don't really play out too well in cube or that's at least what i've found 
Yeah, it depends a lot on what other archetypes we have in there, I think. So if you would increase the removal but put it more at sorcery speed, for example, that would make combat tricks better. But still, they wouldn't matter all too much if if too many of the other archetypes don't care so much about the board and about blocking, like, creature combat. So depending on which archetypes you choose, it can either work out or not. Yeah, you need to, <laughs> to decide there, I guess. Yeah, I probably will keep like the couple like the the rebound combat tricks i'll probably be keeping and yeah i'll just try to find as many like white and black almost cantrip effects that i can to help power the magecraft i have to say like i just love this archetype and it would perform reasonably well so i don't think you should should break break the archetype down all too much i think this one is one that worked yeah for sure the archetype I was most excited about before the, uh, um, the, the draft started, and which I tried to get into but couldn't, was a black-red enchantment deck. Mm-hmm. Did somebody draft that? Like, I know I pick one, pack one, the, the Jokulhaubs, in the hopes of building the enchantment deck, but uh, it wasn't in the cards. Yeah, I remember uh, one of the participants in our draft, uh, Snogglesworth, he... Mm-hmm. He took a pack one pick one pyrohemia, which is basically just like a black a red pestilence. Yep. Yeah, red pestilence. So maybe multiple people were going for that deck, unfortunately. <laughs> Too attractive, and then nobody ended up there in the end. Or <laughs> yeah, it probably is actually kind of a pushed archetype because the archetype kind of just gets a lot of removal. Almost. One card that I probably should have put in, in hindsight, is Oubliette. That would probably be a great mm. fit for the archetype. Oubliette oh. is like a... It's like a white... Or no, it's it's like a black O-ring almost for creatures. Right, kind of journey to nowhere. It phases out a creature until it leaves the battlefield. So yeah, it's oh, I love, just like a... I love it so much when they changed... When they errated it to just phase out the creature... Before it was just like a huge wall of text and like explaining that if the creature goes yeah. to the oubliette with an enchantment on it, it will return with the enchantment. And oh, I don't know, it was so, so complicated. And this was such an elegant solution. I just really adore that. You know, it's interesting yeah. that you say that because I feel the exact opposite way because I have kind of an older search engine on my phone. And whenever I search for like cards with enters the battlefield and leaves the battlefield effects, Oubliette shows up because it used to, like in the old wording, it used to have an ETB and an LTB, and that meant you could do things like flicker it or return it to hand in response, and the creature would be gone for good. And you can't do those tricks anymore. And it's, I mean, yes, I, I do appreciate the wording just being efficient, but the fact that you lose that kind of fiend hunter like functionality makes me really sad. Oh yeah, another card that could probably use the Oubliette treatment is Animate Dead. That or does that not have a wall of text anymore? I don't remember. I think they all do. I'm pretty sure it is a wall of text, but I'm not sure if there's an elegant solution to that. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, fair. I think straight up necromancy might be another one. Oh, these enchantment reanimation spells are all all a big headache. <laughs> I think a big part of the headache comes from the fact that like you have to switch like what it's enchanting. Like I remember. Yeah. Back in Theros Beyond Death, we had a card that said just 
enchant uh, creature or enchantment, and then like enchanted permanent is an enchantment and like loses all its other card types or whatever. The point was like you almost never used it on an enchantment, but it said or enchantment to prevent it from falling off, and that was just so much, (laughs) so much easier than uh, these older solutions. One of the things I really liked about your cube is just, I mean, obviously the archetypes themselves were unique, but I found the card choices were also unique. Just cards that you really don't see in many Magic Online cubes. Maybe they're from supplementary products, so you don't really see them in the retail limited sets that end up getting drafted. And that kind of reminded me of Nega Cube, because that was a cube where pretty much all the cards were a tier down from top tier cards. So anything that had been um, in certain Magic Online cubes recently was excluded from that one. And I just feel like we generally get the same few cubes on Magic Online, usually without that many changes, because presumably that's what people want to play based on polls or voting or whatever. I also think it's because of the way people build cubes, but we can come back to that. For sure, yeah. People, like, there's definitely a tendency to think that cube means like the best cards you can play with (laughs) and yeah one nice thing about the nega cube is that it really you know gave us like a different card selection something that we weren't used to playing with and i felt like your cube did the same thing one concern is something people have been talking about with the proliferate cube like for instance boland someone we had on the podcast in the past he i think trophied five or six times in a row and Yeah, in his words, the proliferate cube, the best thing to do was just completely ignore synergies and just try to put a powerful group of cards together. And that's just a big problem in general for synergy cubes. And I think that my red-green artifacts opponent was kind of feeling that way. I think he was kind of feeling like the Krenko in his deck was, I don't know, doing more work than the artifact synergies. So yeah, now that I've (laughs) made those two kind of analogies you guys want to discuss them go ahead yeah so i guess the thing with Krenko and drana is i just assumed that they were fine cards to the cube because they were pretty good synergy for archetypes like Krenko works well in my blue red plus one plus one counter archetype and mm-hmm. drana works well in my green black flyers flyers archetype and my blue-black tokens archetype. But yeah, they're just too powerful individually, and maybe they aren't great for the cube experience. I think both of them are still good cards anyway. Like, they are very powerful, like, they increase the power delta, and they will get into decks that they are not necessarily planned for, which is a little bit of a problem. But I think they are not... There are not so many of them, and they are not at a level where the synergies don't matter anymore at all. So I think they might still be okay. Another thing is that they probably won't be too bad if I just introduce some removal to the cube. Like, if they both don't do anything immediately, they take a whole turn to really impact the board in any way. So maybe once I add re- more removal, they'll be more fair cards. Yeah. So um, I d- didn't think about it before, but the the black green archetype sounds very complicated to me as a as like for designing towards because I don't see like 
multiple creatures with flying don't inherently have synergy with each other. So you kind of need something that tells you or puts you into the combination of the archetype. Did you do what did you do to accomplish that, or to, did you just hope that having multiple creatures with flying is 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 enough of a draw? So the approach I took for that archetype was basically just adding some cards that uh, benefit you when creatures connect with your opponent, like some curiosity effects. Mm-hmm. Or, and there are some flying synergy cards, actually. There's a couple. I know, uh, what is it called? It's a four mana enchantment. Frontier Siege, that's what it's called. Frontier Siege is a four mana enchantment where it's from Dragons of Tarkir, so it has this ability where it en- as it enters battlefield, you choose cons or dragons. And the dragon's ability is whenever a creature with flying ETVs under your control, you can have it fight something. So that's, oh, that's so cool. That's one of the synergies, I guess. Yeah, that's, I that's, that's really cool. I didn't think of that card. Great find. But, but yeah, there aren't that many synergy cards. There's Spire Mangler, which is a three mana 2 1 <laughs> flash flyer in black that gives a flyer you control plus two plus oh until end of turn. That's it's better than nothing. Better than nothing. For sure. I mean, a couple points of damage. I like that. I mean, yeah. Even if it's not the most powerful card ever, just signaling the archetype is pretty cool. And uh, you can block as a four-one or whatever. <laughs> I remember misreading that Frontier Siege like really horribly in the past. Like, I thought it had something to do with killing your opponent's flyers because that's what green does. And then someone <laughs> told me that I had misread it, and I, <laughs> I just couldn't make sense of that dragon's ability. <laughs> but you need some really pretty beefy flyers to make that work dragons i guess (laughs) but yeah i I really like that but it's probably one of the harder archetypes to to support i think you guys know of the um playtest card i'm not sure i'll get its name right but it's i think three generic mana one black and one green and it's a four four flyer and it might have vigilance (laughs) yeah it does have vigilance fly test It's the reference cool. to the Great Designer Search 2. I know called, it's called uh, Great Designer Search 2 Elemental or something. <laughs> I found it. Uh, it's called Golgari Death Swarm. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's <a> bad fungus <laughs> horror. Yeah. I was just thinking that it seems like, uh, it just in terms of being a beefy, like Golgari flyer, like it could be a good fit. But I mean, obviously on Magic Online, it's going to be pretty difficult to have something properly emulate that card. Oh yeah, that would be super sweet. I'm just actually looking up the card now. Yeah, it seems like a really cool card. If only it was implemented, but yeah, yeah definitely only. an interesting idea. Okay, so I'm going to need both of you guys to remember things pretty well for this, but turn to Stormcrow, you were playing the reanimator deck again that you um, trophied with. What were your threats, like the cards you were reanimating like one of them i remember was zitalpa but what else was it i think there were two others maybe three but yeah so one of them was liege of the tangles which is just a massive trampler that if it deals combat damage to the opponent it turns all of your lands into 8-8 tramplers permanently right and yeah. yeah another one is a chroma which the white Akroma, which is what? a 6-6 six, six with 
Flying, Trample, Protection from Black and Red, Haste, Vigilance, a few other abilities I probably don't remember. First strike? <laughs> Maybe First Strike, uh, yeah. Just yeah, all of them. <laughs> perhaps. And so, Crackshot, I was going to ask you now. So, I didn't get very much removal during the draft, and you said that you drafted removal really highly, which makes sense because, I mean, we were both black-white, we were cutting each other. Did your, like, did you have any removal spells that answered this kind of stuff? Because I know, like, one of the concerns somebody had is that, like, Toski yeah. wouldn't be something that could be answered, and I know there were some, like, minus one, minus one, or minus two, minus two kind of effects. Um, like, I had one of them, and I used it to kill Toski, but I'm wondering if you could have answered, like, a Zatalpa or Legion of the Tangle or a Chroma kind of thing. Yeah, I had a deck in stone, decoration in stone. Nice. Um, I had mob, mob. Doesn't only answer the leash, I guess. Not the the Toski and the but the Toski is a card that my deck would just try to ignore because yeah. it has to attack. Therefore, it like only one turn blocks and then try to not care about the card advantage the opponent's gaining. Hopefully, right? Um, yeah, I did have two other removal spells, I think, but these two I thought of first. I actually had a really funny experience playing against um, the opponent with Toski and the um, newer Krenko. <laughs> Because Toski's draw ability is not a May, and Kranko just makes so many goblins, and somehow I was able to get over like 30 life or something like that, and I was just sitting there like thinking, is my opponent going to try to kill me with damage and then deck? Or, <laughs> and it didn't quite end up going like that, but it was, <laughs> it was a really funny like kind of tension, I guess. And I guess that's just new card templating for you, trying to make things smaller number of clicks. Yeah, so one thing I do plan on adding is some graveyard hate actually to to help like the like green red or white black help answer the reanimator threats and some of the graveyard heart, graveyard hate cards are actually pretty synergistic like taking relic of progenitus it's a cheap spell for white black and it's an artifact for gruel so it works pretty well there. One of the things we've talked about in the past is how we're Crackshot and I are both fans of sideboard cards that look main deckable. I think uh, I'm also a fan, though we haven't really talked about this, about main deck cards that look like sideboard cards. Um, <laughs> maybe they're a little less intuitive, but I think that uh, something like Relic for the decks you mentioned would fit that criteria. Yeah, so I... Yeah, I think that would be a good thing to try out. Just putting a couple fairly playable side sideboard cards in the cube, like relic, relic cantrips. So it's perfectly fine to main deck, especially for this cube. Yeah, but like graveyard, graveyard hate is an especially complicated one. Generally, it gets better for you since you are not excluding rares and mythic rares, but. The way that Graveyard Hate has worked in, in, in a lot of cards, it's that it's not doing anything but completely shutting off the graveyard, nothing else. So like, mm -hmm. I don't know, Tomot's Crypt, for example, is, I don't know, not great to main deck most of the time. Or, I don't know, rest in peace uh, or whatever. Brief tangent on Tormod's Crypt. So one of the things I'm working on in the background as we, you know, do the podcast episodes and... Uh, draft cubes and chaos and whatnot in the discord is this popper cube that's really combo oriented and one of the combos is just using like banishing knack or retraction helix on something that untaps whenever you cast uh, like a zero mana artifact 
So then you just you just cast the thing infinite times, so infinite prowess triggers or whatever you're going to use to kill the opponent. But in Popper, there are only really a couple playable like zero mana cards or zero mana artifacts that is and one of them is like ever flowing chalice which i think is actively pretty good and the other one is tormod's crypt and it's just uh, <laughs> it's funny because like there are decks where tormod's crypt is like good against them like in this cube so far but you're totally right in that like unless you're you know Casting it infinite times, or at least an arbitrarily high number of times, it just doesn't do anything. <laughs> it just sits there and shuts down your opponent. Yeah, and even if it removes a graveyard in a cube context, most of the time the graveyards are not that powerful that this like finishes the game. Mm-hmm. So if you play in uh, no, in the vintage in the Ma- Magic Online vintage cube against Reanimator, for example, the deck that cares the most about their graveyard, if you would slap down a Thomas script on uh, turn one against them, it's not like it's game over. It probably will, like, they will loot, like, some big thing in the graveyard, and then it trades one for one for the reanimation spell, and they have to do the work again. And that's good, but as a one-off sideboard option, I don't know. It's questionable, I think. And, like, I wish there was some, like, common um, scavenging ooze that wouldn't grow, but just maybe gain a life when they do the thing. Just the same right. card, except not growing. That would be a great card, graveyard hate card for for lower power level cubes. Yeah, I think that would be cool too. One of the things I really like about some reanimator decks is when they're able to cast the cards that they would normally reanimate. And sometimes in a game that can just be useful if you're kind of flooding out. But especially if your opponent has like a graveyard hate card in play, that kind of thing can really be relevant. And if I remember correctly, turn two Stormcrow, there were at least a couple moments where you either just cast uh, something you would normally reanimate, or you were really close to casting it. Yeah, this mainly... I, I would say this mainly happened because... Well, I mean, I drafted Azorius Reanimator, so naturally I'm going to have less support, and if I have less support, then I'll be, ca- I'll be forced to cast my threats more often. So that's something to consider, I guess. So... Yeah, I mentioned a couple cubes we've had on Magic Online recently. We can come back to them if we want to. But we also had, was it the Pioneer Cube? Uh, I almost called it the Frontier Cube for, uh, I think, the first time on Magic Online. And turn two Stormcrow, you played a bit of that, and it, it sounded like you liked it. So why don't you tell us about your experience? Yeah, one thing, quickly. I We talked about it in, in Discord, like chatted about it. And I was watching a stream on the next day of uh, the Oracle 888. And yeah, I talked to them about that it is a new cube, which it also stated in the design article of it. But he was adamant, and I think also right, about that there was a Pioneer Cube before, but it was not called Pioneer Cube because it was released on Magic Online about a week or two before the Pioneer format was announced. So before this format even became a real thing. They had a cube <laughs> with only cards legal in, in this set. It might have had the Fetchlands, which were banned from the outset of Pioneer. But yeah, there has been a Magic Online Pioneer but a cube, but it wasn't called that. So that was, I think, pretty cool. And I completely forgot about it. But this cube also looked very different. So yeah. Right. Now back to you, uh, to Stormcrow. You played it a bunch. How did you like it? Yeah, so I really enjoyed it because it. I feel like it embodied 
the Pioneer format, and it felt similar to Modern Cube, which was also something that I thoroughly enjoy. Like, in Pioneer Cube, there's a lot of really good archetypes that I enjoyed playing. Um, I remember I drafted a really nice blue-white control deck, and I, I, I just felt like the archetypes lined up super well against each other. I didn't get to draft it too much. I got, like, three or so drafts in, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So from the list, I noticed it looked like extremely well balanced. Also from the games, I didn't hear from anybody that uh, this or that archetype was was overpowered. And yeah, it looked the uh, format where it's taken from looked recognizable. I did not play too much of it because what I'm currently really enjoying is um, cube like yours with uh, off the wall cards and maybe of the also off the wall archetypes. And this one was very much. Um, in the format, power level, and focused uh, cube, and very true to the format. So not a lot of surprises. But that said, I didn't play it, so I can't really say too much about how to how it played out. Yeah, I think from the outside, it's kind of difficult to be super excited about Pioneer Cube, just because we've seen so many of the cards in Pioneer like dominate the other cubes, especially just in the past, I don't know, year or so like Modern Cube, Legacy Cube, even Vintage Cube. A bunch of the cards from the recent sets show up there, so it's kind of hard to imagine that you're really getting anything new out of it, but just the fact that it sounds like it's a well-curated kind of environment. And I think one of the things you said about it is that it seemed more like optimized than the Modern Cube. Do you think you could talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so I feel like in the Modern Cube, there's just some cards that you'll see pretty frequently go last pick and you're like yeah that card i i can totally understand why it went last pick or it's just a card that you very rarely see in decks i feel like in pioneer cube almost every single card has like a good place in the cube and is goes really well in an archetype or something like that and there's also like there's some synergistic arc really synergistic archetypes like Blue-white is very heavily a flicker a flicker archetype, which you don't really see much synergy like that in Modern Cube. So yeah, that's, that's my comparison. Yeah, for sure. We'd definitely say that archetypes with a ton of synergy are kind of rare in those higher power level cubes. Those cubes, I guess you would call them, um, Jakob, maybe closer to like good stuff cubes then, with less like... Yeah. Even the Kingdom's Cube decks are very often very synergy focused, and like it's a bit hard to say. But um, the Flicker archetype, sure, it is a little bit different than the Reanimator archetype. But in the end, both have a A and B component game plan that they want to put together. And I think it's refreshing every time you see something else like that. But I wouldn't necessarily say that it's not available in other formats. I don't remember the modern Cube too well, so I can't speak much about that. I'm not super surprised to hear that um, this cube was well-made, though, just because I think it was designed by Wizards of the Coast employee who has been designing, and I think in his words, evangelizing cube for a very long time now. So it makes sense that someone who, I guess, is that devoted to cube would bother to get it right. I really think they got right what they were going for. It's maybe not for everybody, but I think they really put a lot of time into it, and it looks very coherent. Yeah, I agree. So, proliferate cube. Do we want to talk about that a little bit? 
Yeah, so we have been hinting to it a little bit earlier. And I think it lost a few of the, like, just in there because it fits the theme of the cube cards. A few of them are, I think quite a few of them are gone. Then there are some nice new additions from the recent sets. So I feel like the, the cube just got a little bit more well-rounded this time. Like after, I don't know, how long has it been? Like a bit more than half a year, I think. Um, yeah, it, almost a year. Yeah, it looks just, well, much more polished now, I would say. But I do remember uh, one of the things we were critiquing it last time for, and also a little bit, which we were alluding to earlier in the episode, it still has the Hellrider in there, and I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean... Eternal Hellrider. It's, I mean, so my thoughts on the Proliferate Cube, it's, yeah, pretty unrelated to this Hellrider train of thought, but, yeah, I feel like with the Cube, there are some cards that feel pretty underpowered and there are some that feel too powerful like i think the power level could use some work it it does feel like a fun cube but yeah i think that was something that stood out to me when i was playing it right yeah, yeah. the power level delta in there is certainly relatively big but i know there are different viewpoints on that there are people who like enjoy a, a higher power level delta more and some would enjoy it less i think I've, i might be coming around a little bit on it but as i might have heard from you i would also do it a little bit Lee. but i think that's a that might be an active decision yeah yeah so it's kind of interesting because i am not the biggest fan of this cube but i know a lot of people are a lot of people find this format just to be really fun i know at least one streamer who is building it in paper so i mean there's a lot of dedication to it if you know you care about it so much that you're <laughs> taking it into your own hands literally uh literally but i would say that <laughs> kind of like mystery booster draft even there are just some cards that are in there that kind of look like fun but then when you really think about like whether or not they're playable or maybe they're just kind of cute um, and actually, I think a couple of the same cards were not only in this cube the last time we talked about it, but also in the Mystery Booster draft would be like Memnite and Ornithopter. <laughs> it's just, for me, it's just so hard to justify them. Like, I would be hard pressed to include them in a cube that was really primarily about artifacts. This cube is not primarily about artifacts. I mean, it wouldn't be called the proliferate cube if it were, right? So, you know, I feel like I definitely am kind of siding with you, Turn 2 Stormcrow, in that, like, there is a really big power delta, and I think I personally would appreciate, um, I don't know, kind of decreasing the size of that. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> they are in there because the law for the idea of Arkbound Ravager, right? The Arkbound Ravager basically is the justification for the whole artifact archetype and a lot Steel of cards. Steel too. Yeah, I guess those two. Yeah. But they are really the the reason it's there. And then there are a lot of cards in there that are then parasitic to that archetype. And even the Arkbound Ravager and the Steel Overseer are, while doing something with counters, are pretty parasitic. And yeah, I don't really love them in there. but they are a little bit cool in a way that they are not that strong. And sometimes you think, like, I have drafted this cube now 20 times. Let's see if I can make artifacts or something. <laughs> it gives you something to do. So right. maybe it's okay. I'm, like, 
the way our cubes our cubes are played way less often. So I this I think this trap P I, I would call this a bit of a trap archetype. And mm-hmm. um I'm much more hesitant to them in, in the way we play our cube. We play them like a few times over the year because well everybody wants to play theirs at some point and then there's maybe one every two weeks or something like that. And for Magic Online, like the cube is played in a different way. So I, I have I can a little bit understand it's there, but if I would build the if I would also start to build this cube in paper, I think I would cut the artifact support completely. Yeah, I think something you hit on there was that just it is extremely difficult to build a cube for Magic Online. And part of that is because of what you said, just the sheer number of repetitions. Some players are just gonna jam this over and over. Knowledge about the cube spreads, which, you know, with the cubes that we draft, like usually the people who build the cubes are the only ones really capable of spreading that knowledge until some number of matches are played. And at that point, the draft is almost over. Then kind of to offset that, Wizards imposes even another challenge for uh, the Magic Online cube builders, which is just a higher number of cards in the cube. And with oh, yeah. the 360 is forbidden. Yeah. 360, uh, a lot of people think that number is too low. I definitely can understand thinking the number is too low if it's, you know, a cube going on Magic Online, which means some people are going to just draft it ad nauseum. But I feel like with the synergy cubes, it's so difficult to add enough cards that do exactly what you want if they don't exist. So, like, for instance, I often find myself looking forward to future magic sets, hoping that there will be something uh, to support a synergy that I have and just fill a hole that, you know, (laughs) can't currently be filled. And if I were tasked with turning one of my synergistic cubes into something that's like 540 or 600 cards, putting it on Magic Online, I would really... (laughs) probably not be happy with the finished product yeah but I, I heard from many people that they suggest 360 as the baseline for most people and i really start to come around on that i in the beginning didn't want to build 360 cubes mainly because like when you design the cube you think of the cube much more as a whole and about all the cards that are being opened and i really like this idea really got stuck in my head that oh i don't want people to always know what will be there and that also comes a little bit from i like i played a lot of board games over the years and very very often there's some kind of um, mechanic in there that like i don't know from you you have like win conditions you have 10 win conditions and before the first player picks one of the win conditions three are taken out at random or something like that so that the second person doesn't know what the first person has taken because Four cards are missing from the possible ten, whatever. And this, in combination with thinking about the cube as a whole, really made me think um, that I don't want everybody to know everything. But it's just faulty thinking on my part because the boosters are all opened at the same time and so many cards get picked before you have ever seen them. So you will not know that I will have a chance to get this card later because you don't know what other people have picked. And if the cube doesn't get jammed like a million times, there's actually no problem with the 360 um, approach. Uh, yeah, I I definitely do agree that's a complicated issue. Like in my color shifted cube, I have 450 cards because I couldn't really decide between 360 and 
and the the normal 360 and 540. Uh, so I went with 450, and I actually was pretty satisfied with how that went. So that you don't see every card per draft, but you also aren't just putting cards in the cube for the sake of them being in the cube, I guess, not yep. adding much to it. Yeah. I think one of the factors when you're considering like cube size for these synergy-based cubes is just how narrow is the theme. So like one example would be Tubelave, a member of our community. His cube is just the theme of it is spending as much mana as possible every single turn. And that's an extremely broad theme, which means you can pretty easily have 540 cards or more without uh, things feeling like, you know, they're just in the cube to fill it out. Yeah. Your theme, I would say, is somewhere in the middle between that and something like, I'll just say like a proliferate cube, because proliferate is the kind of thing, in my opinion, that's uh, traditionally been designed for like one or two archetypes, but not the entire cube. So when you try to make it an entire cube, I mean, <laughs> it just becomes really difficult because there aren't that many cards out there supporting it. Yeah, again, I think yours is um, kind of in the middle ground, with the theme of just colors doing things that they don't normally do. And yeah, I mean, I think four, 450 is pretty appropriate for your purposes. Yeah, now talking about it, I feel like the next thing I will do is cut my Mad Peasant cube down to 450 from 540 because some of the um, narrower archetypes are really stretched a little bit thin on the bottom and they might already not be the most powerful one. Uh, yeah, I think could make an effort to uh, cut it down and probably enhance. Whether you go for that or not, or not, I'd be really stoked to draft it again. It's been a while since we've drafted that one. And yeah, yeah I mean... I don't know if it's been quite as long as the time period between the two uh, versions of Turn 2 Stormcrow's Color Shifted Cube, but it might have been close. <laughs> so, yeah, I should um, try to get Okay, So, I think in terms of recent alternative play events, the only other one to hit on would be the Legacy Cube, which as of today is up for, I think, just under two weeks. I so, already drafted once, and I know that I I have a card in my deck which I know you want to talk about. Oko Thief of Crowns. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> of course, it's a pretty good card, right? Uh, okay, so yeah, this I mean that that card. This isn't even my thought, which normally I try to keep my ideas my own. But I saw somebody had mentioned this in Twitch chat, and then I thought about it a little bit, and I was just kind of shocked. So for those of you who don't know, Oko is just a really messed up card. It's banned in just about everything it can be banned in, and that includes Legacy. Something, uh, Jakob, that you alluded to earlier is that Fetchlands didn't show up in Pioneer Cube because they are banned in Pioneer. Yeah. Um, and that's because the Magic Online Cubes normally adhere to like the ban list for the format that they're named after. Oko is in this cube, and Oko isn't just like a banned card in Legacy. But Oko is so like, far. Huh? <laughs> uh, it's just so so powerful like it's uh, <laughs> I really do not think that it has a place in Legacy Cube I'm sure there is another blue green card that's more acceptable I bet Uro is legal it's probably already in the cube though Uro is yeah. yes it's also my deck <laughs> even, even in like Vintage Cube there's definitely an argument for it being too powerful yeah, it really shuts down games quickly. 
or just like too uh too oppressive. Like there's the whole group of three mana planeswalkers, uh Ashiok, Oko, Narset, and mm-hmm. even Duretti to a lesser extent that are all just super oppressive. Yeah, oh, yeah, the can definitely also be very oppressive. It depends a bit on the contents of your deck there, but yeah, I don't know. How about a Duretti with a Sword of the Meek? Is that good? Oh, yeah, I remember doing that. <laughs> uh, that was back when Trackshot uh, destroyed us all in my Star Wars cube. Anyway, so yeah, I, I agree. I think that's a good observation that the three mana walkers in general are usually pretty oppressive, but. Yeah, the, you also turned to Stormcrow hit on another thing that we don't talk about very much, which is even though it seems like Vintage Cube is just the most powerful cards that can be played in limited magic period, like full stop, that's not really how it works because there are occasionally cards that are cut for power level. Palace Jailer is kind of the infamous one, but uh, Crackshot, I think the last episode we were talking about, what was it, Time Vault too? Yeah. Yeah. Being um, in uh, Mango's cube, but only like uh, because it's very lightly supported. Like Mango wanted it to be there because it kind of belongs, but there's no not all the keys, for example, and not uh, the the Tesseret that searches it up and then gives you infinite turns. So it's not okay. as easy in Mango's cube, but it was cut for power level reasons from the from the Vintage cube. So why not ex- expand that to other cards? <laughs> Yeah, and one weird thing that I did notice from the Mengu cube is that I would always see Palace Chiller go so late, and I would just be really just shocked because I remember how insane the card is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it is. Just some people just refuse to play white. Like, <laughs> can can tell them, yeah, you can um, play whatever you want, or you can play white and take a thousand bucks, and they say, no, I'm not touching white. <laughs> For that. sure. There are a lot Some of people, people really who were, yeah, there, I was going to say there are a lot of people who um, play cube and like commander, for instance, and are just so used to this mindset of like white being the worst color that they don't really, I don't know, adapt to it. Like I've definitely, <laughs> back when I was streaming a bit and uh, there was a time when I was just jamming a ton of mono white, I saw, I, I think I played against a streamer or something and someone in that person's chat said something like, what is this like a duels starter deck because just because like a lot of the white cards are not the fanciest but they get the job done in mengu cube i think things were a bit different because it was really hard to play white aggro with fewer cards to do that but still i mean i'm sure you could have like an excellent white blue control deck with palace jailer have you played already some of the legacy cube uh i haven't gotten the chance to play play it yet but I they actually made they I noticed that they made a ton of changes in the most recent iteration of Legacy Cube. They put in, notably they put in a lot of monarch cards and a lot of just green cards too that uh help cheat stuff into play. Yeah, so what are you, what are your guys thoughts on that? Well, I really don't like monarch, awesome. but I have a funny like I just drafted it once yesterday. Um the Legacy Cube and played only one match up, up until now. And I picked the relatively early Omnath because mm-hmm. that card is just powerful and fun, in my opinion. Like It would be oppressive in other formats, but I don't think it is here. But that's why I was like a lot of colors pretty early. And then like 
very late in pack three, like I don't know, with three or four cards left in the pack, I found a monarch card that I, that I ended up playing in my deck. I haven't cast it yet. The first time around, I didn't even see it, I didn't even read it. And I feel like many other people also did. It's um, Archon of Coronation. It's four white, white for a 5 5 flyer. And when it enters the battlefield, you become the monarch. As long as you are the monarch, damage doesn't cause you loss of life. I don't know. Yeah. That <laughs> card seems very, very pushed. Seems, yeah. That was, that was my first observation. <laughs> Six mana spell. But I don't know. With all monarch cards, um, if you are the aggressor, they come into play and they basically can't answer them. And this one, like even if you are on the back foot, you, you play it and then they have to deal with it. Like an aggressive deck without removal for it can probably never kill you. <laughs> right? Yeah. They... It, it's, it, it's definitely funny because we were talking about how they took out Palace Jailer from, what was it, Legacy or Vintage Cube? And. Now they put in this Arkin of Coronation, so, yeah. I don't know. It, it just looks to me like a card that would be super frustrating to play against. Oh, no worries. I was just going to say, I think the play pattern, if I'm understanding the card correctly, is pretty hilarious, too. So let's say your opponent has, like, a bunch of relatively small creatures, or, I mean, I guess they really could be any size, but yep. just so long as none of them have Flying or Reach, and none of them have First or Double Strike. <laughs> Uh, because if they all hit you at the same time, then, you know, you're dealt zero damage, right? Or yeah. no, you're dealt, sorry, you're dealt the damage, but you lose zero life. So your opponent gets the Monarch, then mm -hmm. you hit them for four, you get the Monarch back, oh, because five. you just, right. and, then, <laughs> and they just keep doing it. And anyway, my understanding is that first strike and double strike would get around this, right? Because first you get the Monarch with damage happening in the, like yeah. first strike phase, and then most of the rest of the damage you would deal is dealt uh, after your opponent loses the monarch. And obviously, like flying or reach could just block the arcan. But it's just it's just such a funny idea of your opponent just jamming their creatures into you and you know causing you to lose zero life over and over. And yeah, like you said, turn two stormcrow. I, like I really hope that uh, you know this is going to go the way of palace jailer and end up getting removed because i think these monarch cards are just pretty abysmal in 1v1 and uh, just card has frustration written all over it but yeah i will i will see um if i can cast it in this form but yeah keep the card in mind i really didn't even see it the first time around like a six mana white flyer i was not all too interested in but i think it's pretty crazy good i mean for what it's worth i do like that it veers white into a more grindy direction almost i think that's interesting but i definitely do agree that it probably won't stick around for too long and will be frustrating to play against i mean i like the general notion of giving white some grindy to the what's the the spirit called from uh, strixhaven the uh, the two one for three what does it do uh, three mana two one for three when it enters the battlefield oh. you, you get a, a play basic planes from your deck Pilgrim of the Ages. Ah, yes. yeah. Yeah. I really love the design of that card. It's not too powerful, but it, it does things. It gets to the late game, keeps blocking even in the late game, and slowly get value. It's just very... That's a very nice design for white, giving it some grinding power. Yeah, I think it's really funny that you mentioned that card because I have some context for it for another couple cubes too. So obviously one of them would be 
or two storm growth cube. I imagine it was in there for the like Azorius landfall archetype. I picked it up in my kind of black-white sort of controlling deck, just because my curve was pretty high. I'm trying to cast like Amiria's Call or whatever, if possible. Yeah, it is just a nice card. It plays well, and it's different kind of design space for white. I guess it's probably there for your Boros archetype too, right? Yeah, it's it's actually there for the landfall archetype and for the Boros archetype because you can just discard it in a pinch and maybe get it back in the late game. Right. Yeah, that's something I've been uh, thinking about for my Popper Cube too. Just with Tortured Existence as kind of a really slow value engine. Not sure whether it would be worth it, but it at least seems like a cool idea. Kind of another sanitarium skeleton, but with more value attached. So. More white blind for us, but less monarch, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, one one last thing. We talked already a little bit about Strixhaven, and um, Strixhaven brought up uh, a, a poll from Channel Fireball on Twitter. Uh, the poll is now closed, but the question was which of these two recent uh, mechanics is better for limited? And the options were... MDFCs, so double double faced cards with two different castable sides. And the other option was the lesson learn mechanic from Strixhaven. So, what do you think about this question? I'll go first, I guess. So, yeah, I was definitely pretty interested in this one. I haven't played very much Strixhaven, but I've seen a lot of the format. I understand like how highly uh, lesson and learn cards are taken in the format and just how much people love them in general. I think Seth Manfield said something like, uh, it's one of the best limited formats we've had in years, if not ever. But I'm, despite all that, still going to go with um, MDFCs, but specifically the ones that are either lands or spells. Because one of the most frustrating parts of Magic, if you're not really accustomed to Flood or Screw, would definitely be variants involving lands. And just the fact that there are cards now that you can add to your deck and just make things more consistent. It really is such a boon for, I mean, for cube design, of course, but also just for limited in general, because a lot of the time games are decided by that kind of thing. I think there's probably a counter argument that you know, makes like mulligan decisions uh, less impactful and things like that. Yeah, but mulligan, mulligan decisions are there because they need to be there, not because anybody enjoys them. <laughs> yeah um, right i just i think the devil's advocate argument is basically that like flood and screw are good parts of the game and that the like these mdfcs kind of tamper with that yeah but not to a degree where i think it gets problematic if every would card agree. would be a land mdfc then it would be problematic but the way it is now i don't see though i can think of a counter argument specifically to that because of that question because in Strixhaven Limited, the lesson learned also very much helps with Screw and Flood. Um, it helps a little bit less with the Screw, but I have kept many two, uh, two land hands with a learn card in it um, mm. and got the... Uh, sciences. Yeah, environmental sciences lesson, which is uh, also for two generic mana, a lesson that lets you search up a basic land and gain true life. And even though you are... At that point where you have to do this a little bit behind or maybe quite a bit behind, the game is still not over. It's a little bit too live and whatever. It gets you to a place where you could get out of the, 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 the hole there. 
So it helps a little bit with the screw that said only if you have that lesson, but it helps a lot against flood. Like mm -hmm. these lesson cards, they all are not very mana efficient, but when you were playing this limited format, it's so rare that you run out of steam because of lesson learn. Like there's always something to do and it gives you decisions. And I think it just plays very nicely. That said, I'm not sure how well it would translate to, to Cube. your cubes. I'm in agreement with the whole argument of lesson learned cards, making sure that you don't run out of gas. I think that's a huge factor in, in why I like them a lot, for sure. I have two kind of small rebuttals to the, I don't know, the argument that they could help you with screw. One of them is, I mean, you can be in a situation with MDFCs where you're keeping technically a zero lander um, and you're not even playing like Charbelcher or whatever. And that is a hand that you would have had to mulligan. Or for instance, hand with like one land in an MDFC and like saving you from a mulligan. I mean, it's a lot like drawing a card or <laughs> potentially even more than that. So I think there's some really good value to that. And the other thing is, it seems like environmental sciences is like easily the most important card in the entire like Strixhaven format. Just because... Yep. Yeah, <laughs> even though it's common, it's super innocuous. Just the fact that it is really the only card guaranteeing that you hit a land for that low, low price. So, I don't know. I feel like what it does is really good and really important, but particularly like for cube design, it's frustrating that there's only one card that does it, right? Like, yeah, it would be very cool to have a few that would go in a similar direction at a higher rarity. One of the nice things too, though, is the um, kind of almost never used mode on like the cards with learn is that you can rummage and in a cube where you're not necessarily picking up a ton of lessons and a ton of cards with learn, uh, that rummaging gets a lot more valuable. Yeah, it's it could be pretty cool for like twisted color pie discard outlets for uh, for reanimation theme, for example. It's yeah. it's cute in that. Yeah, I included a couple learn cards in my color shifted cube. There's most notably there's a two one for a colorless and a white that yeah. learns upon entering the battlefield. Yeah, Professor of That was a great card for me. Mm -hmm. Great card too. One thing that I also wanted to mention with these is that this is one of the ways that they are addressing the I will call it now the 15-card booster problem that we have talked about before, where uh, we were thinking about if we should like decrease the size of our cube draft packs or if we should include more this like sideboard cards that are like planned to be only sideboard or like in more fixing or whatever like ways to make single picks matter more up until the end of the pack. Mm -hmm. It's and been think, a long time, but uh, yeah, we are <laughs> finally returning to this. Yeah, but I really think that this is a cool way of them to address this problem in, in real Magic Boosters because it's coming up there more and more because they are printing way less and less like complete chaff cards that are like never doing anything ever. I don't know, the demolish, um, the demolish problem, I guess. <laughs> right, exactly. So... Yeah, something I was thinking about as you were discussing this, and again, I'll like reference uh, Seth Manfield because his reason for you know 
lauding this mechanic as much as he has is because exactly what you said. Uh, he said it's closer to like 27 playables that you have to pick up now. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that <laughs> it's really validating to hear that, um, like, you know, there is implicit support for that argument I put forth, like, what was that, about a year ago now? <laughs> that 15 cards what? and a booster is, yeah, just, just too many. But the point that I was going to make is think about the other formats where the other retail limited formats that is where there are mechanics that really try to get you to draft more than we'll say like 23 cards for your main deck a couple that come to mind would be like hour of devastation and maybe something like modern horizons where non-basic lands are really high picks and i guess we could say that for um ravnica allegiance too and those formats were all really pretty popular and i'm starting to wonder if part of that is simply because you drafted like a higher number of relevant cards (laughs) yeah md land mdscs do the same thing too by the way and that just also reminds me that i think i do really like land mdfcs but i'm not a huge fan of the just two different side cards that are not lands for (laughs) many different yeah but with the lands i think it's not a problem at all but with the ones in strixhaven where they have rares with so much text on both sides i don't like it like (laughs) they could have never done that on a on a like split card and i do really like split cards because they are in most ways pretty elegant short card designs that are much better because you get the the options of doing two completely different things but if you use this technology of having it on two different sides just to add more text that i don't know it's i don't like it it's really funny too because um like we already have double-sided cards right uh you know we're calling these mdfc's modal double-faced cards the first double-faced cards were the transform cards and most people liked them like they were a pretty big hit that's why they've come back they're probably going to come back again this year eventually as we uh, return to innistrad in most cases, they were also simple. Right, exactly. Uh, and even more than that, they had, uh, I think, power and toughness of the backside, like written on the front side. So you kind of had an idea of like what you were transforming it into. That helped as a reminder what the other yeah, side was. Right, exactly. And I'm just imagining like with the deans in Strixhaven, just putting like a power and toughness and expecting that to jog someone's memory of like that massive wall of text. <laughs> There's just no way it would work. Yeah, I. One of the other things I really dislike about them is it just feels like a lot of the time the sides are totally unrelated, and and it it's not a huge deal. It's a little bit awkward if you're trying to build a cube with some of them, and there's only one relevant side, and you're like, well, I hope that people figure out which side is the good one. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but one thing I wanted to mention is I think almost all of them play well with themselves. Basically, get yourself a mini combo. I like that. But what do you think about? the idea of just legendary not carrying any roots baggage anymore we've already gotten pretty close to that right if i think about like planeswalkers the fact that the subtype doesn't matter anymore right like um there's also snow as a as a super type that doesn't change the qualities of the card except for things that randomly care about the keyword being there and that way you could still have goyo's vengeance (laughs) yeah i don't know I, I don't really think that legendary could be done away with. I think that's it's just too integral to the game at this point. I don't know. Yeah, but the 
Why? Yeah, it's, it's, it's been around for quite a while, so it seems difficult to reverse, but yeah. I don't mind the, the, the typewrite of something being legendary, but it doesn't have to be the one of a, one of a legendary rule. I don't feel like yeah, that's necessary. I mean, again, I would we have put money on some... Really? <laughs> yes. Not that the legendary disappears, but that the rules, because they have lessened and lessened the, the restrictions with regards to it. And I feel like there's probably people in R&D that want it gone, and there are people who want to keep it the way it is, but I think it will change too, not matter. Yeah, I mean, again, we definitely have seen shifts in that direction, like just going from, say I play a Jace the Mind Sculptor, and then you play a Jace Bellerin as a destroy target Jace the Mind Sculptor, right? Like, that's not a thing that happens anymore. Now people can have not only multiple planeswalkers like you can have a planeswalker with the same name as a planeswalker i control but um, they can also share like subtypes again and it's not a big deal people can repeat subtypes like you know saffron olive playing like gideon tribal or whatever and i think there's yeah there's a card in commander legends too another kind of mirror gallery effect that says like the legend rule doesn't apply to stuff you control so uh, no i i think it's probably a good prediction it seems like <laughs> If someone's designing a card that says the legend rule doesn't apply, there's probably at least one person who wants it gone. Why is it in the commander product though? Like for you copying your stuff or I think so. I because it's a it's single called... format it should come up all too often. Um... But I uh, probably like I don't know, if you copy something multiple times. Would you think it's too broken if you could have, I don't know, multiple Thalias in play? No. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I guess now to try to wrap things up because uh, we have been going for a while. Yeah. So one thing that I'm super excited to introduce um, is that we've been having some chaos drafts. Not chaos cube, mind you. Nothing that I've constructed myself. Just pretty much as close as you can get to uh, real chaos on Magic Online. It is total chaos, which means the cards are mixed in terms of which sets they're from, but it's just been a blast so far because we haven't seen any of that on the Magic Online alternative play calendar for a long time. So yeah, oh, if yeah. you're listening and you are interested in joining, make sure to check out our Discord. And yeah, once again, the Patreon link will be with this podcast episode as well. Yeah, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you Turn to Stormcrow for joining and for hosting your cube. It was a blast to play that. It was, yeah. I'm hoping to play more of it soon. And yeah, with that, I say goodbye, everybody. Happy cubing. Right. Yeah. Bye. Bye.